Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Process really isn't great way to differentiate yourself as a designer. More importantly, like your principles, right? Like the kind of underlying philosophy of why you do the work you do and what you think your responsibility as a designer is, is a lot more important. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events job opportunities and even housing go to wearelatech.com slash community we'll take you straight there that's wearelatech.com slash community command line heroes is an original highly produced award-winning podcast about the people who transform technology from the command line up presented by red hat and this is not a technical show this is a show anyone can enjoy featuring experts from across the industry Season four is airing now, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stick around to the end of the show to hear a sneak preview of the brand new season. So I did this random class on the internet for 20 bucks, 20 bucks for the week. It was a TikTok challenge, right? Everybody's talking about TikTok and the thing was worth thousands. I was describing it to a friend of mine and I described it as the best sincere growth hacking meets college party meets meaningful business community. After the week, it felt like I had met all of these people in person. And my friend who works in offline events was like, wow, I I hope that I could create a virtual experience like that one day. It's run by this guy named Michael Sanchez. So much heart. Okay, let me just describe it to you guys. The class started every day at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I think it was planned to go maybe 5 to 6 or something every day. But it started to go from 5 to 9. Okay, fine, whatever. Or 5 to 8, you know, whatever. But some of the days, the instructors and the guy who put it together, Michael Sanchez, would just go over. He even had this person working with him, just a volunteer in the community, Bree, who was amazing. And now I understand why. He'd probably added so much value to Bree's life that she's like, I want to be a part of whatever world that you're creating. And this guy is just like an over-delivery on value. It was crazy. So, okay. So this one day we went from 5 o'clock and the whole group, you know, on a Zoom chatted about everything. But, I mean, the focus is like TikTok growth and how to create a meaningful TikTok and how do you utilize TikTok for business. But in really cool, awesome, non-gross ways till 1.30 in the morning, like 1.30 in the morning, like who does that? And he didn't even like say that he would leave. Somebody in the group was like, we should let Michael go. 
know, it's 1.30. It was crazy. And I learned so much. I learned so much about how to think about TikTok, about how to like put it together in a meaningful way to me, how to make it valuable content that people want to see, how to utilize TikTok to like compliment my other social channels and to add value to my business as a whole. Like he really broke down TikTok from a granular level that was super digestible and really meaningful to add more value into the world rather than just like create another random video. It was cool. I highly recommend it to, I mean, this group is crazy. He has three groups. He has um like the main group that I found him through. I don't even know how I got on it. I think it's because one of my friends is in TikTok and, you know, so he has one main group that has like over 8,000 people. That's the one that you could find online. And I think it's called TikTok Marketing uh, secrets or something. I know it sounds cheesy, but TikTok marketing secrets, influencers, it's just look for a guy named Michael Sanchez. That's who it's run by. And then in that, we're in a private group called the TikTok challenge. And that's what I paid the 20 bucks for. And then he has this mastermind too that people pay. And he wasn't even trying to sell us at all. I'm talking about it at all. People would be like, let me know about the mastermind. Let me know about the mastermind. He's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to sell you on that. I'm not going to talk about it. (laughs) The whole, like the whole, every single day, people would be like, I want to know about your mastermind. And he didn't tell anybody about the mastermind. He legit did not upsell or try to do any. It was, I don't, I just think he's like a super, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but I think he's just a super nice dude. I mean, I'm a super nice person. So there's got to be more people like me that exist. So I think he's just like that. I don't know. But if you're wanting to learn about TikTok, that's the jam. (laughs) Like find this rando Facebook group, TikTok Marketing Secrets, run by Michael Sanchez. And let me know what you think. Say hi to me in there. Tag me in in a post. Like say, hey, Spring, I'm here. It's crazy. It's so cool. So I hope that helps with whatever you're trying to do online and enjoy the episode. And I will see you guys in the next one. Bye. and talent so exciting to bring to you our next guest greg hello hey how are you what a great awesome welcome thank you it's all about the energy i'm so so excited to have you on the podcast today because i want to get deep into your passion for ux design and what brought you to la you're relatively new to la and so let's get into it tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do my name is greg Padonovich, and uh, i am a senior ux strategist and designer For the last five years, I've been leading a team of really awesome designers at a digital agency in New York City called Expand the Room. My family and I recently moved here over the summer. Expand the Room over the last two years has evolved to be a completely distributed agency. And so we were able to move out to LA from New York. And I think something in the, you know, I think just in the, like the, the trope of moving West got me really inspired to make a fresh start. So I'm sort of new in LA and uh, looking for the next, next big adventure. And let's dive into LA geography just for a moment. Which neighborhood did you pick and why did you pick that one? Yeah. So we live in Rancho Park which I suspect is actually not a real neighborhood. I think it's a thing that real estate agents use to just earmark a a part of what really is just Los Angeles. We're on the west side. We're basically between Culver City and Westwood. Um, So 
What a great neighborhood. I didn't even know there was a Rancho Park between Culver City and Westwood. I know. Well, so most people will know Rancho Park because of this great little cafe called Food LA, um, which I think is a hotspot for a lot of the people who work at Fox. It's about, I don't know, five or six blocks down from Fox. It's sort of right on Pico between um, Overland and Beverly Glen. So it's a very cool neighborhood. I, I feel like it's about to get a lot cooler because Google apparently has bought the old Westside Pavilion and is putting in a massive headquarters there. So I Wait, think I didn't even know Westside Pavilion was becoming old. Yeah, Westside Pavilion is now at this point. Well, before work probably stopped a couple of weeks ago, but before that, it was a completely gutted shell. Um, oh, the only wow. thing that's still there is the Landmark Theater. And I think the um, that great restaurant that's on the ground, something tavern. There's a great there's a great restaurant on the on the floor level, but yeah, uh, Google is putting in you know a headquarters there. So I think everything on Pico Boulevard from Beverly Glen to Westwood Boulevard that isn't a cool shop or restaurant is going to be a cool shop or restaurant pretty pretty soon. And what about the LA tech community? I mean, coming from New York, you guys have an incredible tech community there. What about the LA tech community really attracted you in the little time that you've been here? Because it's only been about three months, you said, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, it, it feels like a really exciting time to be in Los Angeles. It just seems like there's a lot of really great, interesting stuff going on. I think things like this podcast and the communities of people in technology that are getting together and sort of, you know, rooting each other and and rooting each other on and and encouraging each other. It seems like a great place. I mean, LA is sort of famously this town where it's it's sort of like all about, you know, who you know, right? And I, I think technology is such a great catalyst for meeting people who are really smart, who are really interested in solving interesting problems. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, right now, I, I think you couldn't really be in a more exciting place uh, to be in technology and design. And have you been here long enough to see what some of the differences may be between the New York tech culture and the LA tech culture? You know, I don't think that I have, except that, you know, I think in many ways, the New York tech culture is probably a little more mature. And so it's lost a little of its, you know, that great, exciting, like startup feel with really hungry teams. That That's kind of a broad generalization, but I think the big wave of technology in, in New York was, you know, just preceded LA by, by a couple of years. So it feels like there's a little more of that kind of raw and, and um, emerging excitement in LA that, that maybe New York has, has started to, to lose a little bit as companies you know start to really establish more footing and more, more maturity. It's almost like one of like a, a conference that after being really cool and amongst all the early adopters gets corporatized and then it's just not the cool place to go anymore. <laughs> I think that's a fairish thing to say. I mean, there's still a lot of really cool stuff happening in New York. There, there always is, there always will be. But there's this interesting thing that I realized about living on the West Coast. I'm originally from the West. I grew up in Colorado. I actually lived in LA for about 12 years. And then we oh, moved cool. away to the... Yeah, yeah. So I have actually have a really interesting perspective of having lived here, gone away for 10 years, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're back. And um, where, where in LA did you spend your 12 years? I lived... Basically, I started in Hollywood. I, I did the thing where I loaded up my car, moved to LA out of, out of college. I went to a little college in Southwest Colorado, graduated, drove out to LA with all my stuff, 
because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get in the, in the film business. And I sort of spent, you know, 10 years kind of working my way up through TV and, and film editorial now, on my way to becoming an editor. And then kind of right at the point where that was going to happen, I started feeling like, Ugh, I don't know, this, this doesn't feel like the right thing for me. And that's right about the time that the first of the TED Talks started being published online. It's right about the time that a, a young senator from Illinois named Barack Obama started to really revolutionize the way social media was used for political campaigns and, and kind of social transformation. And I got really interested in kind of the intersection of technology and design and art. And it, it really felt like I was able to take a lot of the things that I really liked about the editing room, namely the, this amazing digital technology, but that, you know, that we were in this time where, you know, I could start to apply that for different things. So we moved to New York so I could go to Parsons and do a really amazing MFA program there called Design and Technology, which I, I sort of describe to people as like if you took the Media Lab at MIT but inverted the ratio of artists to engineers, that's that's kind of what the, the Parsons program is like. It's funny, I, I always both, associated Parsons with fashion, but I guess it's yeah. not just fashion, or is it? No, not at all. In fact, they have probably the largest like breadth of design school offerings of any, you know, any major program. They do have the fashion design program, which is, has been made, you know, famous by, by Project Runway, but they have an incredible digital interactive design program called Design and Technology. It's, it's both, both a bachelor and a, a master program. They have, you know, illustration, they have communication design, graphic design. Um, so yeah, no, it's a very cool, very cool program out there. I think we, we sort of fully intended to come back here after I graduated, but, you know, as life often does, really great opportunities came. And so we just ended up being there. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years <laughs> went by and we were like, God, it's so cold here. It's so dark in the winter. And, oh, we miss the weather. Why, why don't we go back to the West? And right about that time, uh, Expand the Room decided that they were going to go distributed. That freed me up to be able to do that. So uh, here we are, we're back and we're, we're so happy, so happy to be back. So tell us a little bit about your kind of work lifestyle, being a senior UX designer. What does a day in your life look like? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. And what I really like about being a, a UX designer is it's never the same day twice. Depending on where I come in on a project, you know, things can be very different. Let's suppose that I'm engaged at the very kind of early formative stage of a design initiative, a lot of what I do is out of the computer for a long time, for a surprisingly long time. Most of the work that I do is with Sharpies, is with sticky notes, is with whiteboards. And I wow. really like that. Yeah, and I really <laughs> like that tactile, tangible world of, of problem solving, mostly because I'm invariably in a room with really smart people who have either a business problem that they're trying to solve or a design problem that they're trying to solve. And we're kind of at this abstract moment where we're trying to really wrangle that problem and really kind of frame it and contextualize it and, and, and put a name to it and start to define some like boundaries around it. And that's before we even figure out like, okay, now how are we going to break this thing down into smaller little problems and start to solve those problems? And so for me, the, the, the process of, of UX design is really this journey from the abstract to the concrete. And when it's at its best, it's highly collaborative and it's incredibly participatory. And it's a lot of listening to people and sort of sounding back to people what you've heard and 
think the things that you heard mean. There's this interesting part where you, know, you talk to, you interview project stakeholders, you interview end users, and then we kind of observe people in the wild very objectively, just kind of fly on the wall. And often there's this kind of discrepancy between what people say and what they actually do. So we have to spend a lot of time figuring out what that's all about. Then there's kind of a, a, another phase that's very architectural, and it's very much about thinking about this enclosed system, thinking about how end users are going to move from one end of a system to another. Usually it's you know in the service of accomplishing some kind of task that they want to accomplish. But really starting to map out those systems and really starting to think about like how is it going to be structured? What does the architecture look like? How do we catch people when they fall, right? Like how do we right. catch people when they make errors? How do we help them undo errors, then we really get into the, the thing that I think most people think about when they think about UX design, which is like the wireframes and the prototypes right. and creating the interface design. That's Do you have the, a favorite usually, wireframing tool? Ordinarily, I would say Sketch, like hands down Sketch. But I've been teaching a, a course, an online course for Parsons called the Fundamentals of Interaction Design. And one of the downfalls of Sketch is that it is a Mac-only application. So I had some students in this class that didn't have, they, they were on Windows computers, and we had to figure out another tool. And so I've been using Figma, which is kind of a Figma? web-based. What is yes. that? Yeah. Oh, man. It's so good. So it's, it's like a web-based version of Sketch, but you can use it in your web browser. Or you can download a, a Mac version or a Windows version of it. But the other thing that's cool is multiple people can work on the same kind of oh, artboard at the same time. it's a collaborative thing. How yeah. is Figma different than Balsamic or Envision app? Yeah, so, I mean, short of having um, what I think their, their kind of editor, I think is called Studio. So Envision is really good at taking, when you have created designs, it's, it's good at sort of like connecting them with hyperlinks and creating really small, fairly basic, like animated interactions so that you can put those in front of users and kind of test your initial design concepts. Balsamic, I actually haven't used Balsamic in a long time. We were, we were just sort of phasing out Balsamic in lieu of Sketch when I joined Expand the Room back in, in, in 2015. But what Figma does is it's actually both like Sketch and Balsamic and envision in one thing because oh, cool. you can create your prototypes and then you or you can create your wireframes or your designs and then you can prototype them right there and actually run the prototypes um, the way you would in envision. So it's a very cool tool, very promising. I hope they really can start to get some traction. Figma and not to be so tool nerdy and most of it, no, some of you may not know day. what I'm talking about, but it sounds like Figma is kind of like what Notion, the new hip tool Notion uh, project management tool is to project management, Figma is to um, wireframing. Notion kind of brings everything in together. I I myself do not utilize Notion because I am a, a hardcore Basecamp fan. I'm going a little mm-hmm. off tangent at the moment. No, I, Super nerd side of me. I could yeah. I could nerd out. I'm an Asana man myself, so um, <laughs> I, I definitely I definitely um, know what it's like to have an affinity to your project management software. I, I mean, just to take it like like five seconds further is so since 2012, I've as a personal hobby, I've been documenting every single productivity tool I like on the Internet. And so oh, my Evernote uh, is full of thousands of productivity tools that I'm just like excited about. Like it makes me giddy. Inside. Yeah, <laughs> it's very nerdy. That's awesome. Well, 
that's one of my favorite things to do actually is to discover new tools and try to figure out a way to use them. We found something called Aurelius Lab about. Wait, what's um, that? Oh, it's so good. One of the problems that you have as a designer, you know, you, you go and you do all these interviews and you collect all these great kind of insights from people. And for the longest time, basically, you would just unpack that with sticky notes on a big piece of butcher paper until you started to see some patterns and you sort of distill some key insights, but that was kind of what you would do. Of course, that's a lot harder on, in a distributed team. So Aurelius Lab is this online platform that basically lets you ingest, interview, audio transcripts, and just, you know, basically create like little, kind of like a virtual you know, sticky note session. You can start to tag things. You can start to um, group things together that kind of fit a pattern and, and write and, and sort of attach key insights to those collections of, you know, interview snippets or just observations that you've made. Um, and it just, it just makes the task of unpacking your UX research really, really easy and contained. It's a great tool. We've been using it and any opportunity we have to get in there and, and, and use it, it's, you know, it's, it's really, really well done. And a couple of last questions just to really get to know about you. What would you say mm-hmm. makes you like, what is your superpower as a UX designer? What is that extra flair you bring to the table? In the world of modern technology, we open our laptops, scroll endlessly on our smartphones, send tons of data to the cloud, and we don't think twice about it. But have you ever wondered how we got to now with our personal devices? What it took were teams of engineers and programmers who had the vision and audacity to build new machines. I'm Saranya Barak. Join me for an incredible new season of the podcast and keep on coding. Season four is airing now. Subscribe to Command Line Heroes today, wherever you get your podcasts. What is your superpower as a UX designer? What is that extra flair you bring to the table? It's funny, you know, I think you reach a a certain level as a designer and you start to recognize that something that I see really often is is designers trying to distinguish themselves based on their process, right? Like, this is how I I, I do X, Y, and Z, or I don't do this thing, you know, in the the design process. And I I, I sort of, I think a couple years ago, I, I recognized that process really isn't great way to distinguish yourself or to differentiate yourself as a designer. And I think more importantly, like your principles, right? Like the reason why you want to be a designer, the reason, the kind of underlying philosophy of why you do the work you do and what you think your responsibility as a designer is, is a lot more important. So I think having that realization and then being able to sort of establish a set of kind of core beliefs that I have. I think gives me a little bit of an advantage. It, it helps me really understand like what types of work I'm really well suited for, what types of things I'm not. And it also is like a yardstick that I can use to measure whether or not I'm going to be able to really bring value to a client or to an organization, right? If, if they can sort of understand the things that I believe in and those are valuable to them, then I think it's going to be a really good, you know, I think it's going to be a really good match. That's awesome. And where can people connect with you further? 
So I think right now you can either connect with me on my portfolio site, which is gregpedanovich.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, pretty easy to find there. So I think those are probably the, the two best ways to get in touch. Can you spell your name for everybody? Yeah, it's G-R-E-G-P-O-D-U-N-O-V-I-C-H. And we'll link to him in the show notes as well. So just in case you guys need that. And you are transitioning into a new role. So you're exploring right now what feels in alignment for you. So what would your dream company be to work with? Yeah, that's, oh man, that's a great question. So I've been, you know, I've been in the agency world for the last five years and I think it's been really great. I think I'm ready to now, you know, move on. So we were talking earlier just about, you know, kind of principles and, and sort of, you know, personal philosophies. I, I sort of feel like, you know, the, the most valuable I can contribute as a designer is to give people time back in their lives. Like that's just kind of my personal philosophy that, that kind of underlies the work that I do. So the implications that has on the kind of work I'm suited for is, you know, I'm, I'm probably better suited for like a mobile banking app than say like a social media app. Right. Just because of the, the, the way that the types of things that those two things are different are, are optimized to do differently. So, you know, I think for me, the dream job is really a lot about the team. In fact, it's, it's probably all about the team. I mean, there's no reason to do this work if you're not doing it with people that you really are connected with and have a deep, real relationship with. You know, I think working on a product or service that is really designed to make life easier for people to give them time back in their lives is, is really the, the right fit for me. I love it. And my ex-business partners who are amazing, they were always CTOs and they'd always say, just because a feature can be built doesn't mean it should be built. And I think UX <sighs> designers are the masters of understanding exactly why certain features should be built in certain ways and other ones shouldn't be built at all. And what is one common mistake you see in design from maybe people not understanding how to optimize the conversion on a website or the fluidity of a user experience? Um, what's one piece of guidance that you can give us so that we could all become better? I think probably the biggest mistake I see is people will say to me, hey, you know, take a look at my site and just have a look and tell me what you think about it. Tell me, you know, what you think I can do to make it better. And, you know, the real truth is it, it doesn't matter what I think. And this could be really hard to say to like a co-founder or a CEO. It's like, it doesn't matter what you think about your site, right? The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is what your customers or your end users think about your site. And that only matters to the extent that we can measure it and, and make it actionable. So the idea that, that you would hire like an expert user experience designer, and they're going to come in and they're going to tell you how to make your app, or your site, or your product, or your service better. I think that's a misunderstanding of what really good UX designers do. I think really good UX designers come in and they figure out a way to get your customers or your end users to tell you how to make your site better. That's it seems like what I'm learning from you is a truly phenomenal UX designer is probably an incredible listener. That is just spot on. That is, that's a hundred percent on the money at that. I mean, that is really what I spend probably 80% of my time doing, right. Is listening to stakeholders, really trying to understand what the underlying business problem we're trying to solve is. Why does this app, why does this feature, why is this initiative connected to those business goals? And then, you know, really listening, really watching customers and end users and really trying to understand, you know, the, 
really the, the word that gets bandied about the most in user experience design is empathy, right? And that's really what we're trying to do is get aligned with people who aren't us. And that's why it can be so hard to you know, say what I said earlier to the CEO, which is like, you are not your customer. Like, you really have to be able to set aside your own biases, your own perceptions. Completely. Um, to be able to, to see from a different person's perspective and really understand, you know, what it is that they want, they need. Um, so you can react to that. Yeah. I so connect with that. There's been so many companies that I will share insights with and they'll tell me that their feedback from their team, from their team, from their team. And I'm like, okay, that's great, but I don't want feedback from the team. I want feedback from your consumer, your target audience, and let's find out what they want and if this is suitable for their needs. And there's just some strange, hardcore resistance in that. Uh, I don't know if it's ego or if it's fear or I don't know what it is, but I'm on the same page with you that we need to ask the people we want to serve how to best serve them. Right. And, and, you know, the trick is then to figure out a way to measure that and make it actionable, right? So that we're not kind of going off on every single whim of, of users that we hear, right? You have to be able to pull back and look at patterns and, you know, kind of figure out, you know, what's going to work for most people most of the time. Thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. It's been awesome having you. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary people in LA Tech, remember to go to the We Are LA Tech Facebook group at wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Bye. Thank you so much. What a warm, incredibly warm welcome to Los Angeles and uh, Thank you so very much for, for having me. It's been a delight. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Zanovich. I'm a senior user experience strategist and designer, helping really smart people slay tough business problems with simple and elegant design based in Culver City. And you're listening to VR LA Tech. I'd like to tell you about an all-new season of Command Line Heroes, a podcast presented by Red Hat. No one ever said hardware was easy. In Season 4, Command Line Heroes is telling seven special stories about people and teams who dared to change the rules of hardware and, in the process, changed how we all interact with technology. In the world of modern technology, we open our laptops, scroll endlessly on our smartphones, send tons of data to the cloud, and we don't think twice about it. But... Have you ever wondered how we got to now with our personal devices and what it took to get here? There was this blue box on a table and he said, well, here it is. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a microcomputer. What it took were teams of engineers and programmers who had the vision and audacity to build new machines. These machines, they revolutionized our lives and blew the doors open to what was possible. How many people here had a computer versus how many people intended to get one? Only one or two people actually had them. And they would bring them to the club meeting. What are you going to do with it? And nobody had an answer. The key thing about timesharing was that the computer needed some way of being able to sort of stop its own clock. The uh, creators of the floppy drives are not household names by any means. If it wasn't for that, PCs would have been adopted much more slowly. 
This January 28th, we launch season four of Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. And this season, it's all about the hardware. We'll hear the stories behind some iconic machines and the people who dared to create them. I was the kid that always took things apart, took my older sister's toys apart. This is just another bag on the side of the eclipse, a skin job. Nope, this is a whole new machine. The process of passing the tapes around and encouraging and building upon each other's results is really what made the personal computer industry. We're exploring mini computers, mainframes, the first personal computers, floppies, early smartphones, and game consoles. And we're also going to hear how the community ethos that drove those early hardware heroes to build those machines still exists today in the open source hardware movement. The values of sharing are still there. I mean, it's in the entire open source community. The machine, in a way, was kind of a bit character. It was the people who were the real guts of what it was about. I'm Saranyat Barak. Join me for an incredible new season of the podcast and keep on coding. So thank you and uh, eat your sandwiches. Season four is airing now. Subscribe to Command Line Heroes today, wherever you get your podcasts. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.